I was a pretty typical kid, uh, and so I did two very stereotypical kid things, or at least for a, a little little boy, is uh, I collected uh, football and basketball cards, and I, uh, and I collected comics for a season anyway. It was like the most important thing. So all before the digital world, you might, if there are many of you probably under the age of 20 going, what is a comic? Uh, but uh, it were there, before there was all the digital things, it was just a comic book. And so what you would do is you'd get these comic books and I love Spider-Man and Batman, these stories. And what you would do is you'd be about three quarters of the way through the comic book and you're inevitably asking this question, how on earth is the superhero going to defeat this villain? Because the normal ways in which the superhero is able to defeat people, it's not working. And so you're just like transfixed, like how, is it, how are we going to get to actual victory here? And sometimes they would hang it over to the next comic book because they wanted you to buy more of them, I figured out as a kid, that's what they wanted. But you were just looking for the story. How are we gonna actually, when, how is this gonna take place? What's going to have to happen in order for him to overcome? Because it just doesn't seem like it's going to be possible. And lo and behold, there was a strategy that the superhero had to figure out that allowed him or her or whoever to be able to overcome and finally defeat the villain. And you were like, oh my gosh, I never saw that coming. I mean, that was out of left field. It's amazing. It was awesome. That is uh, the traditional story that we all experience. We talked about even movies last week. Listen, we have an enemy, every one of us, and we need strategies for overcoming, period. There is an actual enemy, and we're in need of strategy for how to overcome. You may have even grown up, listen, if you grew up in church, it's often sometimes maybe the most cliche thing that is often said, sometimes even attached to scriptures. You're familiar with texts that will say, the enemy is like a lion roaring, seeking to devour, destroy you. You've heard scriptures saying that there's an enemy, he's coming to steal and kill and destroy you. These are powerful words that are used, but I, I kind of fear that it's very cliche. Like that's just a thing that we hear all the time. We go, yeah, but it's actually very deeply true. Even right here, even right now, this morning, there's an enemy who absolutely hates that you're here right now hates that you took time out of your life to come here, hates that we're standing in this place to give worship to God and to open up his word. He's looking for opportunities to sabotage your life and tear apart your marriage and to come after your kids, leave you with a feeling of hopelessness or despair. This is what the enemy does out here trying to define a new way to find joy that's any way to find it aside from and outside of the person of Jesus Christ. Want to lie to you all the time. Constantly, that's going on. And I, I feel like it's kind of the easiest thing in the world to roll your eyes and go, yeah, I guess that's true. 
I guess there is an enemy. But we don't often think in those kinds of terms in our everyday life. What we often experience, though, is overwhelming shame or guilt or disappointment or frustration. That's pretty normative to our experience in life or maybe just even feeling numb to life or possibly even feeling numb to our own fallenness or to our own emptiness. And so we'll just kind of go through the motions of life and it's easy to kind of show up to church from time to time. We're getting beaten up regularly by the enemy, lied to, trounced upon. And maybe we don't walk away with any kind of physical scars or it doesn't feel like our lives are in any kind of actual mortal danger in the ways that at least which we read about our brothers or sisters in the Lord in the scriptures. But what we do feel is often deep sense of sadness or brokenness or emptiness or longing that isn't able to be fulfilled. If any of you feel even any of those things today, you need to hear this. Those things are not from the Father. They are from an enemy. He is actively looking for a way to tear us apart. You and I face a relentless, relentless enemy. Revelation chapter 12, one of the most kind of jarring descriptions of what the enemy is like. It says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. The enemy is relentless. Day and night, the accusation is going on. The voice, the intentionality of the enemy to whisper the lie, to tear down, to come against, to bring strife and struggle and hopelessness, that is from the accuser and whatever emptiness you have ever felt or even contempt or toxic shame or guilt that you can't shake or hurt that you've experienced from your past that you can't seem to shake off or any kind of unforgiveness that has held on to you or kept you pressed down. Those things are not from the heart of God. They are from the enemy and it is a 24-7 Occupation. You know what Satan actually means? Accuser. Out to destroy. It is real. And when you and I become Christian, meaning we want to follow the way of Jesus, you and I are marked with the hatred and the disdain of the enemy. Period. You're marked. You understand When you've said, I want my life to be about the worship of the Son of God, you're marked. And in many ways, a life of following Jesus 
is actually a life that's saying, I'm willing to go the hard and narrow road. And while there's such rich blessing from being connected to our maker, it is not without a pathway that can be painful and difficult at times. And because of that, listen, there is an actual real war that is going on every day over your heart. An actual war. Something that's actually happening even now as we sit in this room and as I say these words and we sing these songs, there's this a cosmic battle and it's easy to believe. I don't know about that. And the Bible's going to say over and over and over again, it's really real. You're really in it. And God sees this and the enemy is after you. And the beauty is this. If you're in Christ, the victory has been won. Your win has been secured already. But yet there is a stepping into that which has already been done for you. I can imagine, I've mentioned to you guys before, I love documentaries and looking back on different wars and World War II or Civil War. I love those things. Um, they didn't have the ability to step into knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that the war was gonna be won. It's kind of a scary thing to step into. But hear this. You're being asked to step into an actual real battle, but you already know the outcome. The question is, will you step in with the Lord and fight this fight with him? That's the question. The war's already been won. The victory has been secured. You get to step into it. And it's the reason that Jesus says something that's so profound. And here's what he says. You'll be hated for my namesake. You don't know where the hatred comes from? The vitriol of the enemy. You don't know where, it's gonna say the world, it's say actually all nations, there's multiple places where Jesus describes this, and he says you're gonna be hated for my namesake. And Jesus actually says, and that war against you, many will actually fall away. But he says something in Matthew 24, but he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Meaning this, you're being called into the victory that Christ has already purchased for you, secured for you on the cross. So step into it. And so the question is this, then how do we overcome and endure to the end? That's the question. How do we overcome how do we endure to the end? And the rousing, clear declaration we get from Scripture over and over, you want to know how we win? You want to know how to step into the victory that's been purchased for you? The answer is we worship. We worship. You want to go, all right, how do I do battle with this enemy who hates me and is after me? And what does it look like for me to begin to secure in my life 
and to walk through the victory that Christ has purchased for me, we worship. Worship is our warfare against the enemy. You wanna know how to do battle against the enemy? Worship is our warfare. Nothing else will change the atmosphere of your heart, your home, this city, this church, than this, than being a people who worship. And I don't just mean singing songs, although we're gonna talk about that this morning. But what I mean is looking, setting our eyes and our gaze on the king of the universe. You guys are there in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This little section of scripture is actually describing uh, the nation of Judah. So the, uh, Israel and, and Judah, the, the Israel's been in, divided into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And there is a king over the nation of Judah. His name is Jehoshaphat, or Jehoshaphat. And he is uh, a good king, hungry for the heart of God and seeking after him and he's wiping out all of the uh, uh, idol worship and he's putting it to the side. And in chapter 17, uh, it's describing this protection that Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah is experiencing because God is protecting them so that no one could even come against them. Kind of an amazing thing, just the divine protection of the Lord. And yet, in chapter 20, the Lord will just pull back for a moment, and we see these nations see and look at Judah and want to rise up and steal, kill, and destroy them. Why, why the Lord allows for, in chapter 17, no one can touch you. And in chapter 20, the Lord says, all right, I'm gonna let these nations come after you. Let me tell you, the sovereign divine counsel of the Lord is brilliant. Not one that we could get into in all the fullness of this text here, but what I think is about to happen is the God of the universe showing and revealing and allowing us to see that when worship will rise up in our hearts, every enemy is defeated. But we gotta see it and we gotta step into it and we gotta know it for ourselves. More than cute platitudes on a Sunday morning, I mean true, authentic warfare in your heart against the cosmic powers that have come against you through the act of the declaration of the beauty and the majesty of God. The enemy cannot stand in front of it. And so how do we war with worship? How do we war with worship? Second Chronicles chapter 20, we're gonna start in verse 12. Now, before, let me just set this up. Je, uh, Jehoshaphat sees the, sees the warring factions that are coming against him. They are bigger, broader than anything that they have the ability to defend themselves. They feel undone, and here is his prayer this king's prayer in chapter uh, 20, verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Come on. We worship God through our 
fear. When fear, do you feel this? This is just a very real prayer. When fear rises up, what do we do? We turn our hearts and we pray a very simple prayer. God, I don't know what to do. I feel afraid. I don't know what to do, but now my eyes are on you. You want to know the beginning of worship, just the beginning, is just to say, God, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how this is going to be fixed. What is in front of me seems like it's insurmountable. I don't know how to overcome. We don't have enough resource. We don't have enough ability. God, I don't know what to do. But my eye is on you. The most important thing about you, when the thing is coming against you, is what do you choose to look at? It's going to be defining for all of your life because the battle is coming. We already know that. But will you pray this prayer? We get to acknowledge Okay, God, I'm not in control. And we say it here on a regular basis. <laughs> we want to operate with a hands up mentality. Okay, God, I'm not in control, but I'm going to put my eyes on you. I want to see you. I'm going to look at you. And I'm going to trust you, even in the hard place. And so the nation comes with this prayer. By the way, I think it's important to acknowledge and say the fear as opposed to pretending like it's not there. Can I just say that? I think, I think it's possible that sometimes even in church culture, we've made it so that you can't say, I, ha- I have a fear. We, you, you get shamed for it. As opposed to actually saying, no, I'm, I, ha- I have a fear, Lord, and now I'm bringing it to the one who is able. Does that make sense? This is an important part of warfare is not to, ah, by faith, we're going to be okay. No, 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 by faith, we're going to set our eyes on the God of the universe and acknowledge the thing that's in front of us and believe that the Lord will lead us through whatever battle may come. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 13. Meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Hallelujah. I love this. The whole nation, babies, and everyone. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon uh, Yahaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, son of Yahiel, son of uh, uh, Mataneah. I'm trying to get all the pronunciations here. A Levite and the son of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. These are the worship leaders. These are all the worship leaders. And he said to them, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they'll come up by ascent of Ziz. 
You will find them in the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. And you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Listen to me. The most important thing when you and I are under the weight of the attack of the enemy is to acknowledge the fear, I don't know what to do, to look to the Lord and say, what do you say, God? What does God say? What does God say? Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head and with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. We worship God in the battle. We worship him. If you want to know how to take on what is coming against you, we worship him. Now, it feels like to me what would have been a better strategy is get your swords sharpened, start to collect all the men, get them set up in divisions. How are we going to... Uh, defend our city, try to figure out all of the strategies in order to fix the thing that's in front of us. That's how I would have thought about it. God didn't say, do any of that. He said, you want to you know, hear what I'm asking you to do? I'm asking you to see that I am glorious. I am beautiful and I am the conqueror here. And we begin to declare with our words and with our songs out loud, out loud, the glories of God. If you want to know how to do spiritual warfare, it begins with the declaration of the greatness of God out loud. I think this story is important. I want to major on this because, listen, Does God know, does he know everything you're thinking? Does he know everything going on in your mind? Oh, you bet he does. He knows everything. I thank God for meaningful, momentary, silent prayers to be uttered to the Lord. I think that's beautiful. But hear this. The enemy doesn't know what you're thinking. What the enemy wants to do is inject into you his thoughts Lies, deceit, failure, disappointment. He's spewing this all the time. The reason that it's important for you and I to worship out loud is to confront and to tell the enemy, I'm not going anywhere because I am a son or a daughter of the Most High God. I'm saying it out loud. I'm preaching to myself I am declaring what is true over what I might feel. I am saying what is uh, beautiful over what is broken. I'm gonna declare it. I'm gonna say it out loud. I'm gonna sing it. And you might even be going, yeah, but, pastor, 
You don't know me. I'm kind of a quiet person. And I think all my quiet people in here love you. I love you. I thank God for quiet people. Because if it was all just loud people, this world would be worse than it is right now. Okay? Let's just be honest. Okay? All the, all those extroverts out there. All right? Just creating chaos everywhere. But just this precious, quiet people just holding it together. Okay? Thank God for that. Okay? But hear this. There is a time, whether you're extrovert or introvert, that it's time to raise a voice of hallelujah. And say, not today, Satan. Not today. You don't get me. You don't get my family. You don't get my circumstance. I am going to, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, declare out loud, you're the king. And I see you. And I see your victory. And I might be going through it right now. And I might be going through it for the next six months. What, what, we don't know. We don't understand and know we don't know why sometimes it's a season of First Chronicle, or Second Chronicles chapter 17 for you, and sometimes we don't know why it's a Second Chronicles chapter 20 for you. We don't know always why the Lord does that. But we know this. If you want to enter into true warfare, it's time to say out loud the glories and the majesty of God. And so they get up early the next morning. We'll just skip down a few verses. They all get up, the whole nation all the worship leaders stand on the front. They get out there. And in chapter 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 22, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. We worship God through the fear. We worship God in the battle. And we worship God all the way through the victory. We worship, we worship, we worship. You want to know what the strategy is to overcome the enemy? Worship. We watch God confound the plan of the enemy that has been intended for us. We watch God do it. You don't have to do it. Here's the good news. You want to know the good news? You don't have to figure it out. God has it. He knows it. So he's looking for the partnership of worship. I love that this whole nation invited everyone to do it, invited the, even the kids. It says the little ones, meaning the babies, and the kids, the children. I think it's the most important thing you and I could begin to pass on is a warrior heart to say, God, we're gonna believe you and trust you and ask no matter what. The other day, um, I was with Jonathan, and uh, or, um, it was getting ready for a football season, and it was time to get some cleats, and... Um, We'd been given a cool opportunity, a discount to get some cool cleats, but they were going to be way on sale. But the problem was you didn't have them in the store. You had to order them online. So we ordered them online. And the cleats were coming. They were going to come the day of the first practice. And it's the day before, and they're supposed to come some point in time, but we don't know when they're going to arrive. And Jonathan's feeling the way. I don't know if I'm going to have cleats. What am I going to do? He's feeling the weight, right? So you know what we did? We said, all right. Let's just pray and ask God for the cleats to show up. Let's just do that. So we just pray and ask God for the cleats to show up. We don't know. I, I couldn't be honest with you. I don't know. God, I don't know this is going to work. 
but we're going to come to you and we're going to ask you, can the cleats come before practice? By the grace of God, the cleats show up before practice. Now, why am I telling you that story? Does God care about cleats? Well, you bet he does. Of course he does. Does God guarantee when we do that that the cleats are going to show up? No, I don't have a guarantee. But you know what I want? Dang it. I want kids and I want a church who are just not afraid to talk to God about anything, even cleats. And just say, God, you're the most important thing and we trust you. And we trust you if the cleats show up and we trust you if the cleats don't show up. That's the reality is if the cleats didn't show up, we're going to have a conversation about trusting the Lord and making it work with our Nikes or whatever, right? Okay. But I'm not, I don't want to be afraid to just come to the Lord and say it out loud. And you want to know why Israel and Judah kept turning their heart away from the Lord? Because parents wouldn't grab their kids and pour into them the worship of the God of the universe. And a generation missed it. They missed the opportunity to stay worship and stay connected to the Lord and see the Lord win the battles for them. So I want to pass that on. And I think that's what God wants to do in our lives is keep reminding us. I I tend to want to feel frantic over the fear of the thing in front of me. And God's asking us to worship. The way that Paul describes it to the Corinthian church, he says, we have weapons of our warfare. They're not of flesh. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You want to do war in the heavenlies? It's not with us figuring out on our own strength. It's about worship. It's not flesh and blood. It's worship. There's a similar story to 2 Chronicles It happens in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are going on mission and God gives them a chapter 20, not a chapter 17, a chapter 20 opportunity. They're not protected from the attack of the enemy. They're spared death, but in verses 22 through 24, it says they were stripped and beaten with rods and then put in stocks in the inner chamber of the prison. And they're there in the middle of the night. No idea if they're going to be hanged. No idea if they're going to be beheaded. No idea if they're going to be locked up for the rest of their lives. The government doesn't care about them. What do they do? What do they do? Well, they pray. They cry out. But in verse 25, it's really clear. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now, why are they singing? Why are they singing? I'm going to be honest. I'm trying to think about how I would feel if I was beaten, thrown in jail, and the government could care less. I feel like the temptation would be, uh, I've lost. God, you don't care. 
There's the temptation. This thing's not going well. It feels like you're not here. Maybe we've missed you. They're exhausted. They're tired. It's midnight. What are you going to do? Somebody were to come and say, hey, when you hit rock bottom, it's important that you begin to sing. I think it's possible. I'm just, I think it's possible that you might go, thanks, preacher. <laughs> come on. When you're actually going through it, when we get like strip away what is like, feels like Bible story and come through what's actually happening to these men, I think they might go, you know, you say, hey, you need to sing. I think they may go, you, you don't even know what it means to hit rock bottom. But these men do. They know exactly what it means to hit rock bottom because, listen, sometimes the only solution left in life are the simple ones. Amen. It's just simple. Why were they singing? They needed a display of God's power at the very least inside of them. Now we get to see the rest of the shore, the story. God shakes the walls and the shackles fall off and the doors open up. And God delivers them. But singing to God, hear this, is not just something that we do in response to his goodness and his kindness and his grace. It is a weapon of warfare. It is something we use to tear down the strongholds, to ask God to move on our behalf, to kill the addictions and to move the mountains and to save those who are far away. It is the opportunity to come against this enemy who's relentless day and night accusing us and to say, God, have your way. And God has appointed the use of worship as a weapon against the enemy. We see that God is faithful in responding to the declaration of his goodness. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is our actual great hope against this enemy. But how does the Holy Spirit fill us and empower us? What does he do? What does he say? How does he lead? Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Spirit what do we do? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Be filled with the Spirit and what? Gather together and worship your guts out. It's, what it, it's my, my version. If I was writing a version of the Bible. Let it fly. Like let the words come out taking our eyes off the circumstance and putting him on the Lord of hosts. The fullness of the spirit we get to experience comes where we just declare and we say it and shout it out loud. And when it feels like the enemy is wreaking more havoc in our life than ever before, that's when we shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And when we feel beat up, that's when it's time for us to get loudest. It's time for us to be able to be a people who lean into the Lord this way. 
Because worship is the beginning of all uh, that which is coming against us. It is no wonder that the enemy hates our songs, hates our singing, hates worship. He sat there as the chief worship leader, our best understanding from the scripture of who the enemy was, more brilliantly decorated than any angel in all of heaven, and just said, no, I want the worship for myself. It's why he can't stand it when you and I worship the king of the universe. He can't stand it. It drives him out. It drives him away. And we get to see the God of the universe come and meet us. I'm going to ask our team to come up. We're going to finish out this morning. I was, we'll just finish with this. A 22-year-old on a mission trip on some random island in Indonesia. And uh, we came to minister and bless and we got off the boat and came right in front of this massive Taoist temple and you could just sense and feel like the demonic oppression and influence that was sitting over the island. There's this little bitty old shack of a church. We go to this community center to just invite and call and ask people to come. So many people show up and we get a chance to preach the gospel and share and minister. And at the end, there's an opportunity to respond and this lady comes up. I don't know anything of the language. We're just out there praying for them. Praying in English words, asking God to do something, trying to figure out what's going on. As we're praying, um, a demon manifests. She begins to, she falls to the ground, she begins to shake. She begins to scream, her face contorts, her body contorts. Never seen anything like this in my life. God to move and I don't I don't know what to pray I don't know how to pray I'm just asking God come reveal release demon come out I'm just a kid I don't know the band begins to play begins to worship and all of a sudden this woman who's screaming and screeching and squealing all of a sudden something lifts she able to sit up for a moment the pastor comes over and finds out she had actually given her heart to a, dem- a demon in her religion she, what they did at the Chinese New Year is they, 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 they got high and then they would invite these demons in and the Lord in a moment delivered her not because I had the right words to prayer to say, but the worship of the king of the universe started up and the demonic had to flee. And this woman was delivered and set free, became a follower of Jesus on that day. Because words and songs out loud change the atmosphere. Do you believe it?
You guys stand with me. We're going to just take a moment and have an opportunity to tear down strongholds, to declare. We take these last few minutes. Lord, we're coming before you. Would you offer to the Lord right now the mountain that's in front of you, the thing that is holding you back, the hurt, the disappointment, the place of unforgiveness, the addiction, the thing that's sitting on you, the place where you're not sure, the place where you have fear. We're gonna ask God to tear down strongholds as we worship him, not to figure out what we need to do next. We're not asking God for the next step or the next strategy. What we're asking for is an opportunity to come and tell him, God, we don't know what to do, but we set our eyes on you and we worship and we magnify. So we're gonna take even this first song and just look at the Lord. Look at the Lord. Look at the Lord. But would you offer it to him first? Lord, we're offering all of our fears. We're offering you our strongholds, the thing that feels like it's got a hold of us, the hurts, the disappointments, the failures. And we're asking you to come and tear it down. Ask him, God, tear it. Would you begin to tear it down? My numbness, tear it down. Give it to him now. And I wanna encourage you, sing declare. Don't hold back. If you're worried about you not sounding good, don't worry about it. You're not sounding good is what we need right now. Release it. Just declare it. God, we want to give you this moment. We give you this last time here. This is yours. This last 20 minutes we're given to you to anchor our lives in worship and to declare your majesty. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.